Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Good morning, plant family. Good morning, plant family. How is everybody? How are we this morning? We good? Chris Carbone's good. Anyone else good? Anyone else? Michelle's good. Anyone else good? Sort of? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. They had a good run. They had a good run. We can give, it, we can give the Rangers a hand. They had a good run. We know we have a lot of Rangers fans in here, and they are a New York, New Jersey team, so they had a good run. Well, didn't, didn't Megan lay out that whole milestone amazingly beautiful, right? How awesome is that? I want to really thank Megan for how she is seeing that happen in our kidsmen, but I really do want to, um, Carrie Niebles, let's give Carrie a hand. She's like, why are you giving me a hand? She was the one that really came to us a long time ago when she was running our kids program, and she said, we need markers for our kids. And she really took it to heart because a lot of times, uh, a lot of churches don't have pathways for their kids. And so parents come to church and they don't know what are the stages of spiritual growth. And so for us, I loved how Carrie was like, we need to walk them through the milestones and progressions of faith. Because what we see in scripture is milestones and progressions of faith. Now think about milestones in your own life. Think about milestones in your own life. I know right now that my child's going through one of them. He went from junior high to high school, and he's about to go to college, right? Graduating junior high, it's not really graduation. What do they call it? It's a um, promotion, right? Junior high promotion. Everybody gets to win, right? There's a promotion from junior high to high school, and then high school to college. Not everybody has to go to college. Amen? Do I get an amen? Amen. Okay, there we go. (laughs) And then there's college, let's call it, to career. And there's something next. Or there's law school, or there's med school, or there's seminary, or there's that next progression. Just saying, these are the stages that I've gone through. Here's what's next. Think about relationships. Don't relationships have milestones and progressions, right? You meet someone, you get that funny feeling, right? Isn't there a song, I can't help that feeling any longer, right? Isn't that like an old school 80s song, right? When I'm so afraid of letting go, I'll be quiet right there. So you go from like having this like twinge to engaging in dating to getting engaged, right? To getting married to then doing life together. But there are some big moments. You remember that. You're like, hey, I really like you. Do you like me? Will you date me? It's like, like the biggest day of your life in like junior high or whenever you have your first girlfriend, boyfriend. You're just like, boom. I'll never forget sixth grade. I remember my first girlfriend's name. I won't say it. I'll leave it in the past. Right? And then next thing you know, like the engagement is like a huge, huge deal. Right? And then you get married. And all along... All of these are milestones. They're progressions in faith, in relationship, better said. But there are progressions in faith. And we have been going through such 
an amazing maturing season in the plants. I would say like four years ago was like the crazy, fun blast. Remember that? Nyack College, Ramapo, before COVID, all those students that were with us, and they were just kind of like driving the energy in our ship, right? But now, that same energy and that same excitement has gone to a deeper place of maturity. I mean, our church right now is at the, is at the most mature stage in our church's history, and we're coming up on 14 years. God gave me a word last week. Yes, God speaks prophetically. Do I get an amen? amen. Like a really loud amen. amen. Amen? Right? We believe in that. And I was really praying last week, and I heard, I heard first fruits. First fruits. And then the Holy Spirit said, no, second fruits. You see, every, every seven years in Scripture in the Old Testament, it was a harvest of the first fruits. I really believe we are going into a next season of second fruit ministry. God's best is yet to come. And we've seen that this whole year. And we've been walking you through milestones and progression of your faith. We talked about the gospel, right? We talked about the sower and the seed. We talked about prodigal son, right? We talked about what is the gospel? How do we receive the good news? Who is the good news? Who is Jesus? Then we talked about the Holy Spirit. And we just finished up going through a whole sermon series on the Holy Spirit. Every aspect, and there's so much more to him that, that we need to empower you with to know the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be, have gifts of the Spirit, and to move in the Holy Spirit. And there's this progression that I see throughout the Gospels and Acts that too many people jump over. And as I really wrestled through it, I, I asked myself, why do we forget about this missing piece? Baptism. Why was baptism such a part of the gospel message and the movement of the gospel throughout Acts? And why does Jesus make baptism a commandment. Have you ever thought about that? Why? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what is baptism and the importance of baptism. And what I'm going to call this is the Cornelius course. The Cornelius course. Because what we're going to see briefly, and then we're going to jump into the importance of baptism, is in this one example of Cornelius that this was the norm for every single follower of Jesus in the early church. So this past week, my personal devotional time, not my sermon prep time, was in the book of Acts. I went through the whole book of Acts this past week, and I kept saying to myself, wow, every single time someone has an encounter with Jesus, there is this spiritual progression of milestones that literally reproduces itself every single time. So before I pray, this is what I want to challenge you with this week. One of two things, either read through Acts or on your phone, download the Bible and listen to the book of Acts on the way to church. 
And you're going to see there's this Cornelius course that I'm calling it that is repeated from Acts chapter 2 all the way through Acts chapter 28. Let's pray together. Jesus, today's a teaching day. Today's a day for us to be in your word. God, yes, I wanted to inspire. Yes, I want people to get excited. But God, this is one of those biblical Sunday mornings where your word is just going to teach us about the movement of faith in our lives. And here's my prayer. Holy Spirit, activate. Activate one of two things. For everyone in this room who has been baptized, I want their faith to be affirmed in that step, that act of progression. But for those who are really just having this holy pull to go deeper and deeper with you, that there would be this desire to take a new step of faith in the waters of baptism. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, the Cornelius course. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. If you have a physical Bible, open it up, or if you want to open your phone or just look at the screen. But this is one of those Sundays when it's great to have like a tangible Bible where you can literally see, okay, let's look at the progression throughout the word. But there's this movement in chapter 10 that it's a whole lot longer than what I'm going to read. That's why it's so important to go back. Let's read verse 1 through 2. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. Now, really look at what, this, what, what Luke is writing down. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. So there was this man named Cornelius. He was not Jewish, but he was part of the Roman officer. He was a Roman officer, part of the Italian regiment. So think about how big the Roman army was. Tremendously huge. And Cornelius had a significant role in the Rome, Roman army. And Cornelius was very unique in this. He was God-fearing. Was he a Christian? It does not say that. Did he know who Jesus was? It does not say that. But there's this hunger for the things of God, to know God, to be known by God, to know the truths of God that caused him to hunger after the things of God. And so in other words, he was asking lots of questions. And he was praying to the creator of the universe but not knowing what God had just done by sending his son Jesus to bring salvation to everyone who believes. I, I love what it says. It says, and he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. In other words, he was acting out the things of God. He saw those in need and he was participating in the things that God calls us to do. Amen? Amen. Help those in need. And here's the thing that we have to realize. God knows the heart of all of humanity. He knows our hearts. He knows those people who, who long to know him. 
He knows those people that are just hungry for the things of God. He knows, though, that they not only want to know him, but want to be known by him. And you know what God did? God was going to allow Cornelius to have an encounter with one of the disciples so Cornelius would be able to know the truth. When people hunger after the things of him, he always opens a door so they can know him as well. Amen? Amen. That's why God puts you in people's lives. Because you are Jesus carriers. You are Jesus carriers. You are Holy Spirit carriers that have the truth of who God is. And the God that you know and you love. So watch this, verse 34 through 36, and I'm just going to jump into this real quickly. God prepares Peter supernaturally, just as God still prepares his disciples supernaturally. And Peter goes to Cornelius and his household, and he gives them the gospel. And look what it says in 34. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Greek, Jew, Gentile, Roman, no matter what humanity's background is, Those who hunger after the things of God, God will always make a way for them to know him personally. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? I mean, I hear stories of people all throughout the world that see Jesus in in visions while they sleep. These are real stuff that that is, is literally old, early church stuff that's happening all throughout the world today. And we see this example, and we read about it all throughout global missions right now. So Peter, he goes. He shares the good news. And Cornelius receives the gospel. And Cornelius' whole household receives the gospel. They've watched a man who has been living a life of integrity who comes to a truth and who Jesus is as the Son of God, and they said, if he believes, we believe as well. Now let's see what it says. Verse 47 through 48. So track with me. How many of you have been God-fearers out there? Hopefully all of us at some point. There's like four of you out there. Oh my gosh, I got to change the message right now. Come Holy Spirit. How many of, out there, how many of us out there have been God-fearers at one point? Can we please raise our hands? Unless you didn't put the order or not. Otherwise, we're having a gospel class after this, right? We're here for a reason. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized? Now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did, so he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. There was a progression. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, God opens the door for salvation. He and his household received salvation, 
And then, you know what I've been talking about the last seven weeks, the Holy Spirit? Peter says, they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Church, you can't jump over that. They believed, they received, and then they were baptized in the waters of baptism. But then they were discipled so other people would hear the gospel as well. That's the Cornelius course. You hunger for God, you receive salvation, you're filled with the presence of God, you make a public declaration through baptism, and then you're discipled and you start discipling other people. Wow. We see that all throughout Acts. So, here's my question. Whose idea was this? I think it was Paul's idea. No, it wasn't. Well, maybe it was Peter's idea. It wasn't Peter's idea. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Let's see what that dude says named Jesus. Jesus says, Jesus came and told his disciples this. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus' final commandment to the disciples, hey, if we want people to experience how high, how wide, how deep, how vast, how affirming is the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus, go do this. Go do this. Take away any confusion that people may have. And right now, our nation is in a state of confusion. I will even go as far as saying this, that there is a demonic spirit of confusion that is confusing our society with everything right now. And there's nothing worse than living in a place of confusion. Can I get an amen from that? Amen. Right? There is nothing worse than that. And Jesus says, here is the progress. Go, make disciples. Those who are hungry, give them who I am, which means allow them to believe and allow them to receive the Holy Spirit. Then, affirm their faith in baptism. Baptize them. But don't stop there. Then teach them to obey me, to know me, to follow me, to love me. And so for some reason, my question is, why? Why do we confuse the great, the great commission? And so, every single year, I do a teaching on baptism. Because I believe that there are certain people throughout the year that are on this new faith journey who are God-fearing, who come to know Jesus, 
who experience the power of the Holy Spirit, who are being discipled, that need to make a public declaration of their faith for one of like four or five reasons I'm going to go through right now. That's going to send them out to living in the calling of who they are. And so, why is baptism so important? What's the importance of baptism? Now, I could teach on baptism for a month. But the truth is this. If you are hungry for what's next, for that holy nudge in your life, you're kind of getting a little excited right now. Because you're like, there's something that's just kind of like that next progression. Now, let me say this. Baptism does not save. Baptism does not save. Let me say it again, because someone's going to accuse me of saying this. Baptism does not save. It affirms your salvation. It's a declaration of your salvation. And so, when I look at Scripture, this is what baptism is. It's a public act of faith and repentance. It's a public act of faith and repentance. Jesus was baptized. It says here, it says, this is what John said. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And John goes on to say, and he says, and be baptized. Why was Jesus baptized? Because we, say, we would say it's a repentance of sin. Jesus was sinless. Do I get an amen for that, right? But Jesus was preparing for what God had next in his life. And he's saying, this chapter, I'm putting to death and I'm moving forward in the calling of what my father has called me to do in who I am as the son of God. But for us, this is what we do when we go to the waters of baptism. We're saying, yeah, my old life was broken. Before Jesus, I was living in sin. Before Jesus, I allowed my nature and my past and my environment to, de to determine who I am. And now that I'm a follower of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm saying publicly in faith, in an act of repentance, that I am no longer that individual. That's all you're doing. That's step one. And I'll be honest with you, I remember being a 20, I remember being a, a junior higher. And I was baptized because that's the right thing you do in a Pentecostal church, right? Amen. Like if you don't, <laughs> yeah, Aston, we've had this talk. Growing up good old, old school, old school Pentecostal, you were dunked by the age of like whatever. Because you had to or you're in big trouble. Now, it's a beautiful idea and I get it. But for me, I had to come to a place in my faith. That's why we don't allow children in our, in our church. We encourage them after, in junior high, junior high forward, junior high forward. Dedication is for you parents to raise your kid. But then there's going to be a day, junior high and high school, that they can make that declaration. But I remember at Sycamore Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri, I went to the waters of baptism because I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to publicly say, that old Rob is dead. And so I publicly declared that Jesus was my Savior and my past was put in the past. Two, 
baptism. It's a symbol of putting to death the old self. It's a symbolism of putting to death the old self. It's you standing up publicly and saying, I'm going into the waters of baptism, putting to death my old self and becoming made spiritually alive through the act of symbolism. Because you are already made spiritually alive the moment the Holy Spirit filled you, amen? Amen. But you are publicly saying, old man dead, new man alive. Look what Paul says. He says this, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. You see how deliberate this is? Think about the church. And with him, you were raised to new life Because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You are publicly, publicly saying, my old self has been put to death and the new person is being resurrected to life. Now think about Jesus. He was put in the grave. And when he came out of that grave, he was a completely transformed person the mystery it's like us we're walking into the grave but it's a but it's a pool of water and we're being raised to new life almost like we're putting our body in the tomb and we're bringing back with a resurrected self again symbolism that death has been washed off us that sin has cleansed us And now we are clothed in who we are as followers of Jesus. I'll tell you this. The moment I became a Christian, I'm like, wow. I feel like God just gave me the biggest do-over in the history of the world. But when I got baptized, I remember thinking like, wow. This is just a progression of what God is doing. I remember when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was filled with the Holy Spirit in my college dorm room all by myself. I wasn't at a big concert. I wasn't at a church service. And I was crying out to God on my knees. I need more. It wasn't in front of people. I was a hungry 19-year-old who was just calling out for the things of God. And the Spirit of God just fell on me and started doing a deep transformational work in my life. And so I see. I became a follower. I was filled And now I needed to tell the world that I am no longer the old Rob Parker. The old Rob. It says then in Galatians 3, 26, 27, that we are united in Christ through our baptism. What does it mean to be united? It means to be in agreement with. It means to be made one with. I mean, how many times have people in, in marriage, when they've been frustrated with one another, feel like, I just don't feel like we're united. I just don't feel like we're one. I don't feel like we are in agreement with. You see, the moment you put those rings on your finger, right, publicly, you said, we are united, and we're going to learn to be united together. Amen? Amen. We're going to learn to become one. And it's the same thing with baptism. We are united. We are in agreement with Jesus. We are learning to become one as we are learning to live under the authority, the lordship of Jesus. Galatians 3, 
For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So what brings salvation? Faith. And faith alone so no one can boast. Who said that? I think Paul. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Baptism is like putting on new clothes, clean clothes. There is nothing better than a clean t-shirt, right? There is nothing better than when you lie down and you have clean sheets, right? That smell of the, the fresh pillow, right? Right? And we're teaching our young adults how to do this when they go to college. Make sure you wash your sheets. Make sure you wear clean clothes. Why? Because you have an aroma. You smell good. You are in agreement with the world that you don't want to be stanky. Right? It's the same thing with Jesus. We are being clothed with him when we are washed. We are in agreement that you have the power to overcome sin and death, and that sin and death is conquered in my life. And so I can walk in that agreement. So there's this unity. And so what we're doing is we are publicly declaring that we have faith in Jesus. We are publicly repenting of our sins, saying, I don't want to be that dude anymore. We are publicly putting to death through the symbol of water. We are publicly saying that we are united with Christ. And because of this, this is what baptism is. It's an affirmation of our faith. That's all baptism is. Your wedding band is an affirmation of your love for one another. Well, I ain't loving them too much lately, right? Some of you are saying, but it's an affirmation. It's an affirmation of your love for one another. It's an affirmation of the step of faith that you took with one another. And your baptism is an affirmation of your faith in Christ Jesus. It means that you know without a shadow of a doubt that I am a child of God. And nothing can ever separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. And I believe it so much that I took a step of faith through baptism. That's what it is. You're saying, I get it. I want it. I want to know Christ. I want to obey Christ. I want to follow Christ. And I want to be clothed in Christ in my baptism. And I'm going to look back in some of my times when I need to know that my baptism is sometimes the only thing I can stand on. I remember being a young 20-year-old man. You 20-year-old guys, how hard is it to be 20 years old? It's hard. It's hard to be a 20-year-old woman. It's hard. And I remember through my battles with flesh and self and, and just temptation and even demonic pulls that at times the thing that I knew that I did not have to give in and be identified by those things any, any longer was because I remember at Sycamore Baptist Church that I publicly said, I'm not that guy anymore. You see, we make baptism such a light thing. It's a milestone. It's a big deal. I remember baptizing some of you, and you have had, that was a game changer for you. But it also 
affirms your identity as a child of God and your ability to continue to live in the obedience of who you are as sons and daughters. It says in 1 Peter, and that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clear conscience. It's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I could have people say, man, I remember who you used to be. You remember that person, but this is who I am now. I have a clear conscience. I know that in my brokenness, I know that when I do sin, I go to the one who cleanses me. Because I am far from perfect. And so there's this progression. And there's this hunger for wanting more and more and more. And and the truth is this, church. When we don't teach on baptism, we are causing people to miss out on such an amazing milestone in their journey of faith. I mean, look at Acts. Acts chapter 1. Jesus says, go. I'm going to give you the spirit, the same spirit that I promised you in John chapter 10 and John chapter 14 and throughout the Gospels. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls like fire and wind. And if you were here next Sunday, you thought you were at Pentecost. Amen? It felt like Pentecost. And in this, and in this, all of a sudden, there is this deep conviction. I want, to be a, I want to be identified as someone who is in Christ and a follower of Christ. And there's this progression. Acts chapter 2, all the way through Acts 28. Hungry, receiving, baptized, and being discipled. And I feel like we talk about salvation... I feel like we talk about discipleship, but I feel like the church overall has lost the ability to talk about the Holy Spirit and baptism. I mean, some of you are like, wow, ever since I received the Holy Spirit, my life was turned on. My life was turned on. Yes, because when you recognize Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit, that's when your spiritual life is turned on. And then some of you would say, hey, last summer I was baptized, game changer. Now I'm on mission. We see this. We see this with Barnabas. We see this with, with all of the disciples. This was the progression, the Cornelius course. Baptism does not save. Baptism affirms. There might be a day that my wife says, man, I, we never got married. I'm like, yes, we did. We never got married. Yes, we did. You see those pictures on our wall? We got married. No, 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 those weren't real. That, was, that wasn't real. I said, you look at those rings on the finger because now we're 25 years. You got multiples. You got multiples. She goes, oh, yeah, we are married. We are married. We are married. Baptism is a reminder of who we are as sons and daughters of God. Amen. How awesome is that? Why do we downplay it? Why do we just kind of like slide it under? Because we have theologically messed it up. That no one wants to talk about it. So why? Why did Jesus say, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Why? 
Why is it when, when you look at John's baptism, he's like, repent, believe, and be baptized, period, end of story. And then Jesus says, okay, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. So in fulfilling the law, part of fulfilling what God is already up to in humanity is baptism as a public declaration. But now this is a new baptism in the name of the Father. Because in the Father, we are identified as sons and daughters of God. He is not creator. He becomes Abba. Amen? Amen. He goes from creator to daddy. And so when we say that we are baptized in the name of the Father, we are saying that we are called sons and daughters of God and in the waters of baptism. In the waters of baptism, it's like our birth certificate is signed. But then why does he say in the name of the Son? So baptize them in the name of the Father so that you can be identified as sons and daughters of God. But why are we baptized in the name of the Son? Because we can only be called sons and daughters of God through who? Jesus Christ. So he says, you are not only being baptized in the Father, you're being baptized in me, the one who came to overcome sin and death, the one who brings salvation. Do I get an amen? We can get a little hyped at baptism, right? Do we, he's the one who brings salvation, amen, right? He's the one who brings sanctification, amen? He's the one who brings healing, amen? He is the one who is the king who sits on the throne next to the Father because of his obedience unto death. And now... Your healing, your salvation, your sanctification, and your eternity are all sealed in him, in you, through him, because of his obedience to the Father. And so he says, be baptized in the name of the Father, who sent the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Think about Jesus' baptism. What happened at his baptism? He comes out of the water, and a dove descends on him. And the voice of God, the Spirit of God descends upon him, and the voice from heaven says, and this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. You see, Jesus at his baptism was commissioned for what's next in his life. Jesus at his baptism, was commissioned for what was next in his life. And so when we say that we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are recognizing that we are filled with the Spirit of God, just as Jesus talked about in John chapter 14, and that he is going to send us on mission to allow others to know his good news as well. And so when we say that we are baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, we are declaring, like Cornelius, that we are filled with the presence of God. And now we are sent into this world with the presence of God and through the presence of God and by the presence of God so others could receive the good news of Jesus too. I want to challenge you this summer. Summertime is really the best gospel opportunities out there. I think most people take a break from church during the summer. Do I get an amen? amen. You're all guilty of it. <laughs> I say that jokingly because I love you all. But I really think that 
summertime is the greatest gospel moments. Many of you go on vacation with friends. Do I get an amen? Right? It's a great way to split the cost. Let's call it what it is. You think you love those people, you're splitting the cost. Two, it's an opportunity where you have more people in your house than ever before. Do I get an amen? It's a time, especially during COVID, that you're more comfortable with being with other people. That's the new thing. But it's an opportunity for you to share the hope that you possess. Meaning, you talk life. Meaning, you talk values. Meaning, you talk about the things that you care about most because your friends want to know what you value and care about most. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. So here's my question. Where are you on the Cornelius course? Where are you? Where are you? Are you hungry for the things of God, but yet you're like, wow, I'm just hearing this guy. He's going a little crazy up there. What's happening? If you are hungry for the things of God, God is saying, I have the answer for you. It's Jesus. It's the most profound, simple manner in how God showed his love for humanity. Or maybe you're someone that's saying, wow, yeah, I do believe in Jesus, but I feel like my life's just not clicking. Like I believe in my head, but my heart, there's something miss, missing. Today, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to know that it's the Holy Spirit that fills you and moves you and makes you become alive. Because I know some people out there, like I get it in theory, but I've never experienced it personally. The personal connection is the Holy Spirit filling your life. Like, okay, well, I've done that, Pastor Rob. Why am I here? But maybe there's some of you out there that says, I believe, I've been filled, but have you taken that next step of faith? Have you taken that next step of faith? I never want to denounce baby baptisms. I will never denounce them. They're valid. But they're not a public declaration for the adult. It's not their declaration. If someone says, well, I was baby baptized, great. I'm never going to, like, invalidate that. Your parents made a decision. But if you really look at the theological understanding of baby baptisms, it's a dedication. The very same thing that we do as a dedication is the very same thing that takes place at a baby baptism. A public baptism is you saying, I declare that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm declaring it. My parents chose to raise me. Now I am publicly declaring and some of you need to just be able to sit back and say, hey, I needed this message. I'm struggling. I don't feel one with Jesus. I don't feel an agreement. And I've been baptized. And this morning is your morning to say, yes, thank you, Pastor Rob, for reminding me. But there are others of you that there's this holy nudge. Like, I feel like there's this next, next step, this, this inner pull. And I'm telling you right now, it's baptism. It's baptism. It's baptism. God is saying you're going to take a next step in publicly declaring that you are his. And I'm promising you this. It is a game changer. But it doesn't stop there. You don't arrive at baptism. Do I get an amen? amen. You don't. You continue to be discipled. Even Pastor Rob is discipled. Even Pastor Rob has people over him that he goes to as, as mentors in his life that give him direction. 
I have three individuals that I count on at any given day to be able to give me spiritual direction as I am leading this church. We continue in our discipleship, and we know Christ. Why? To make him known. We don't hold the good news. We give the good news away because it's contagious. And so, in closing, I'm going to invite the band to come forward. Where are you on your Cornelius course? Are you seeking, receiving, affirming, and growing in your faith? And is there one of these that you're saying, today, I need to take a next step? I really want to challenge you. No matter what step of faith that you are saying, I need to take that next step in. And of course, this morning's about baptism. I want you to reach out to Pastor Jeremy or myself so we can help you on this journey of faith. It's our role and our pleasure to help you continue to know Christ and make him known. And some of you today are ready to take that next step of baptism. Yes, Lord willing, I am overly clear because the scriptures are overly clear about the Cornelius course. Let's pray together. Jesus, I ask you that you would allow this morning to be a morning of affirmation, a morning of where we are at and where you are leading us. So Holy Spirit, move. May we finish this school year off with what's next. In Jesus' name, amen. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.